One of the first things that struck me at the beginning of this crisis was how everything was getting stripped back to the essentials. Um, throughout life, we were going right back to the basics, what mattered most. There's definitely a joke to be made in there about the stockpiling of toilet rolls. I hope you're still working through them well, but I won't make it. The whole point is that it's been a time of distillation, a time of focusing, a time when that which is essential has come to the fore. I think that's true of, of the church as well, that we have been focusing on what matters most. And I think this passage helps us to focus on what matters most in church. And really, I think it's four things, community, discipleship, worship and mission as an overflow of that. I think that's at the heart of this really, really exciting picture of that first church as it grew and was established in Jerusalem all those years ago. So it's, we are also going through a time of distillation and it's a challenge. I think sometimes in church it's possible to love the means, not the end. I often felt in my last parish that we had uh, a, a leader of the sound team who felt we had a church so that we could have a sound system rather than the other way around. I also remember uh, lots of conversation about coffee as, as though actually it didn't matter what the service was like as long as we had a decent cup of coffee at the end. And as for wine tasting, yes, wine tasting to determine uh, what red wine we should have for the community just seemed as though we'd lost the plot. I felt I was becoming a sommelier, wine taster, uh, a wine waiter, you know, holding before the congregation. It appears that the Lord is Cabernet Sauvignon this morning. In all of those times, we risk loving the means, not the end. We risk sometimes loving the church rather than loving God. And this passage and this time is distilling everything. It's taking us right back to first principles, to the basics, to community, to discipleship, to worship and to mission. We're told in Acts 2, uh, 42, that they devoted themselves, the first church, of these things. That's not so much about emotion, it's about the sense of training, of continuing steadfastly in these things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, we're told first of all. Now the apostles' teaching would have been reflections on the Old Testament, it would have been reflections on the teaching of Jesus, and also it would have been their teaching. And if you like, that forms the scriptures for us, the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Epistles. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. But remember, as I was saying last week, it's not just about hearing the teaching of Jesus, it's about putting it into practice. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching as a group of people who heard it and put it into practice. And the rest of the passage describes the enormous impact of that upon them in terms of their sharing, their generosity, and in terms of their impact upon the community around. They enjoyed the favour of the people and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, that's discipleship. They also continued steadfastly in the fellowship. And the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, that doesn't matter, but what it means is it's a deep devoted sharing, the kind of deep devoted sharing that should characterise marriage. That's the kind of relationships that should characterise um, our church, our fellowship. 
they continued steadfastly in the fellowship. They met for, in, their, in their homes. They met every day in the temple to pray. And then they shared bread and wine from house to house. So they continued steadfastly in their fellowship and in loving concern for one another. It is, as Paul says in Romans 12, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. That's what it means, community, to continue steadfastly in the fellowship. They continued steadfastly also in the breaking of bread. This was a community that was gathered around the cross. It was gathered around bread and wine. And, and when they met together, when they shared fellowship together in their homes, they broke bread and poured out wine to remember the cross and the resurrection. Whatever else is true of us as a people, we are a people gathered around the bread and the wine and that sense of breaking bread. And they also continued steadfastly in literally the prayers. Uh, they went to temple worship. They joined together in times of intercession and worship with the, the continuing people of God. But alongside it, they grew this church fellowship um, which was deepened by uh, the presence and the power of God. We're told that everyone was filled with awe and signs and wonders were done amongst them regularly. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers. And the overflow of all of that was extraordinary mission. So in this time of distillation, we go back to a passage like this and remember what is at the heart of everything. It is community, discipleship, worship and mission. That's at the heart of everything for us. So what does all this mean for us today? First thing, I think it encourages us to grow as a community of practised faith. That first church were gathered around the apostles' teaching, which was reflections on the Old Testament, on the teaching and the example of Jesus, and of course their own teaching. They were gathered around that. That was what brought them into being, because they were gathering around the gospel and the, and the experience of God, the experience of salvation, that that made possible. We too need to be a community of practice faith, gathered around the truth of the gospel, practicing the cross and the resurrection and their power together. That means being a, a people where we are happy to forgive and uh, to forget a, a community where we are happy to make peace and to take the initiative in making peace. We need to be a community that show how we love one another to the world around us. I'm not saying that this isn't the case. I'm not saying there are no ways in which we're doing this. I am saying we need to learn from their example to be a community that's defined by practice faith. Defined by our, our practice faith and our trust in the Lord rather than by maybe worldly attitudes, rather than by the community around us. We need to be salt and light. That's the invitation. That's what we see practice then. And if it was practiced then, we know it is possible now. We know it is possible now because of the power of the gospel and the presence of the Spirit. So ask the Holy Spirit. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring things to our attention that God longs for us to change. He doesn't condemn us. 
He convicts us. He convicts us so that we can deal with them, so that we can seek forgiveness and put things right. So Paul said, you know, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So sometimes we're so convinced that we're right that it does take the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts uh, to see things as he sees them. That's the invitation for us in this time of distillation as Christians and as a church to say, Holy Spirit, where are we falling short? What do you want to correct in us? How do you want to grow us? How do you want to encourage us? Remember the Holy Spirit does not condemn us to make us feel bad. He convicts us so that we might be liberated to live in the glory of of God's grace. So that's the invitation. Say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, convict me. Show me where I'm falling short. Show me where we're falling short together. And then liberate me through the gospel. Liberate me through the power and the sacrifice of the cross. We need to be, even more than we have been, a community of practised faith. Second, I think we need to remember in this increasingly digital age the significance of being embodied. We've all had to grapple with the digital age. Um, I remember some years ago preaching through Mark's Gospel and setting up a Facebook page for Lent and uh, PJ guided me through that and then gently said welcome to 2005. It was about 12 years later at the time. So there is a sense that some of us have been dragged into this digital world kicking and screaming and we've had to embrace it because these times have forced us to do so. So there's no question that digital is going to be significant into the future. But digital slightly downplays our bodiliness. It slightly says that actually what most matters is our picture. What most matters is Uh, interactions online that don't take place in person. But one of the things I think we have realised, or certainly I've realised so much during this time, is the significance of meeting in person, is the significance of touch. When I've bumped into people uh, on the common or in other places, I have felt just delighted to see them rather than to see them from here up on Zoom. It's reminded me also of of the the horror of isolation for so many people who've been shielded. Uh, We've now got my mum staying with us for a bit, and we went to when we went to uh, when we went to fetch her. It was a powerful moment to hug her because it was the first time in weeks and weeks that anyone had touched her. Being from Yorkshire, we didn't make a lot of it. We just moved on, but it was a significant moment. I'm reminded as we break bread later on together, we remember Jesus's cross and resurrection in a physical way, in bread and wine that we take into ourselves. We literally take its meaning into ourselves as we break bread and pour out wine together. And so that encourages me that meeting in person is going to continue to be significant, however the digital uh, lines up alongside it. That meeting together in person for worship is going to continue to be significant. And and I pray for all of you who are are isolated and who are needing, uh, needing to be touched at some point because that's such a significant part of being uh, embodied. 
I pray that that will happen soon. And I pray, even for those of you who hate the peace, that we will get to the point where we can share the peace together again. Because community can't just be digital, it has to be in person. And that point where we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it's very hard to do that without actually being able to embrace. So may we come back to the place of being able to touch and embrace one another again. We need to remember, even in this most digital age, the significance of being embodied. And the third thing I think it challenges me about is, where have I got to the point where I have loved the means rather than the end? Remember, I remind you at the beginning I said that the sound man in our last church thought we had a church so that we could have a sound system. Well, certainly that's how I felt, the possessiveness with which he talked about it. That's, a, that's an example of loving the means rather than the end. Where have you, where have I done that? Where have we been come so wrapped up in our role or, or our opinions or our tastes about worship that we've lost sight of why we do all of this? Where have we been guilty of loving the church rather than its Lord, of loving the church rather than pursuing the kingdom? At this time of distillation, at this time where we're right back to basics, I'm challenged by this passage that it says it's about community, discipleship, worship and mission. And anything that doesn't serve those ends, why are we doing it? We have this opportunity when all of our habits have been broken to ask those really hard questions. I bumped into a church minister who I know last night walking the dog and we were just reflecting on actually we're right back to first principles of who are we in God? Are we receiving God's comfort and God's grace and God's empowerment day by day? We're right back to that intensity of seeking the Lord loving the Lord first and foremost above everything else. So is that an invitation for us as a church as we reflect on this time and lots of stuff has been stripped away? What is essential? What do we want to replant? What do we want to restart? It's community, discipleship, worship, mission. They were devoted devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and to the prayers. May we renew our devotion as a fellowship to those four things. May we pursue the Lord, not the church. May we pursue the end, knowing Jesus for ourselves, knowing God's presence and power and love and grace day by day. May we pursue that rather than the busyness, the frantic busyness of church life. It's about the kingdom. It's about knowing and loving the Lord and knowing and loving one another. It's about community, discipleship, worship and mission. May we return to the practice and the pattern of Acts 2.42. And if we do, everyone was filled with awe, signs and wonders, generosity, and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Surely, surely that's what we want to be about.